Welcome to the resource room. I'm Amanda, the blogger and TPTer behind the Primary Gal. As a special education teacher, you are always supporting others, students, parents, general education teachers. But who is supporting you? That's where this podcast comes in. It's my mission to give you the help and support that you need. I'll be sharing my tips, tricks, research-based strategies, and professional development. I'm here to help you grow and learn as a resource room teacher. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hi, Heather. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Resource Room Podcast. And I would love to first dive in with you telling us a little bit about you and what you teach and what you do on TPT. Hi, everyone. I'm Heather. I'm from Full Sped Ahead. Um, I am a special education self-contained life skills teacher in Illinois. Um, I've been teaching middle school for the last five years, but I've also taught high school as well. Good. Well, thank you so much for being here. And um, you and I were talking before we hit record a little bit about digital data and some of the tools that you use. And I thought that would be very, very helpful for resource room teachers as well. So how did you get started using digital data? Is it, or, you know, collecting data digitally? Was it just your preference? Did COVID shove you into the deep end? Could you tell us a little bit about how you got started? For sure. Um, so I, my first couple of years out of college, I started taking like printed data where it's just packet, uh, like packets of their data collection forms or anything like that, um, where I was just like marking down, but it wasn't sustainable for me. Like it would be like, where's the clipboard or where's a pen? And it, I couldn't get it in the moment. And I, it didn't feel as fluid as it should have been. Um, and I always found myself kind of like missing data sheets or missing the correct data or doing it at another time um, just because it wasn't easily accessible for me. Um, so that's when I decided to try Google Forms. And so that's where I started dabbling in putting in their um, main goal and then the objectives. And then each benchmark was kind of something I can keep track of and see the progress, see if they've met it, if they've gone and exceeded it, um, or if they're not meeting it at all, it was seemed to be easier for me. Um, so then I could use it on a school issued iPad, which was always important for me for the confidentiality of it. Um, so a school issued iPad was always local into the classroom, or it could be easily transported with us if we were in transitions or in the general education setting. Um, so I kind of would keep an iPad with me all the time, loaded on my Google Forms and saved as a bookmark, which also helped too, because it was easy just to click and there's um, Susie's goals and it's right there for me. Um, and I can kind of click in what it was. Um, and then I started dabbling in QR codes so that my assistants could help take some data for me um, where the Google form is linked to the QR code. And then I would print those QR codes out and um, that remained that confidentiality too, that I knew what color it was because that was the color for the student or, um, you know, we found that in just that part of the room. And then my assistants would have to log in as well. So it couldn't just be anybody's login. They'd have to have login access to it. So Heather, honestly, it kind of sounds like you were starting off like many of us do. You know, you have to collect data. You don't really know the who, what, when, where, how, why, and you make your own life harder in the process. And Google Forms really seem to help. So my biggest question is, do you have a separate form 
for every single one of your students and then they have their own link. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, that is exactly correct. Um, so each student has um, a little section where it shows each um, category of their goals. So it might be a math, a reading, a behavior, an independent functioning. Um, and I can click on that and go directly to whatever goal I'm trying to assess in that moment. Ah, that's nice. So every year when you have an annual, I would assume then you just can edit that form for their new goals, right? So what I do is I make a copy and I um, make a new form after their annual meeting so that I have the old data still stored. Um, and that way, if I change the information in the Google form, it doesn't mess up the data that was there before. That's a good idea. So you would need to reprint the QR code then with the new link and that. Yeah. Because kind of that's what I was thinking initially. Oh, well, then that QR code could stay the same. You just swap out the questions. But I like that idea of making a copy. That way you don't lose all of that data. Yeah, because if you're looking at a reading comprehension goal and then the parents want more of a reading fluency goal and you change that in um, the original form, your comprehension uh, data is still going to be there, but you're looking for fluency. And then if you try to make a chart after that, because Google Forms helps you make charts as well, um, it's going to mess everything up. It really is. So that's why I always make a copy at the annual meeting. That's genius, really. I love that idea. Um, what does it look like then for your paraprofessionals? What kind of data do they collect for you versus maybe what you collect? What does that look like or that partnership? So it's a whole comprehensive thing. I do the whole training of how to use it. They don't create the forms, um, but they'll track data for me. Um, if I'm in the middle of a lesson, it's hard for me sometimes to make notes of how many questions the kids get correct or incorrect um, without totally deferring from my entire lesson. Um, so they might try to take something um, just in the middle of a lesson for me. And like I said, I go through that whole training process of how to do it, how to sign in. Um, and then I always leave a comment box at the bottom um, so that they can write any notes of things that they've seen or if they're unsure about something. Um, that's always something that I have them do. What percentage would you say like you collect versus what they collect? Like you said, as you're doing a lesson or as you're in the moment, would you say that's like a 50-50 split, more or less, on one side or the other? Yeah, I would say we're try to do it as much 50-50 as possible. Um, if there's something specific, I will tell them, hey, look for this behavior in this class, how many times they've shouted out, how many times they've gotten out of their seat, something like that, um, where I feel like that's easier for them to take note over versus me who's in the middle of a lesson. Um, so I would say behavior would be something that they probably take more data on than myself. Um, and academic is probably something more I do. I think that's a good way to split it. And you're not you're not losing focus by putting a tally mark for this or putting a tally mark for that. Yeah. Here you can focus on what you're doing and still you know that the job is getting done. The data is being collected. Yes, definitely. Yeah, that's great. Now, earlier you mentioned something about color coding your QR codes. So do you print mm -hmm. those on colored paper or what does that look like for the color yeah. coding side of it? Yeah, so I typically have a small caseload um, between five and eight. Um, so yes, I do the, all of that. I print out the QR code just in regular white paper. I cut it out to the shape that I want, and then I put just a slightly larger color um, uh, on the back of it and laminate that typically just so it stays a little nicer. 
That's good. And, you know, I was thinking, at, you know, it's a little bit different, obviously, with self-contained versus resource room. I'm progress monitoring right now on 31 students. Yeah. But I could still have maybe by classroom or something, you know, there still mm-hmm. could be a color coding component or what that data is. You know, if I was going yeah. to collect a CBC goal versus a Val Teams goal, that mm-hmm. could still maybe be color coded in a way that, um, you know, could help instead of by student. I've also used student initials before. Um, If that's something your school allows you to do is use student initials. Um, That's something else you may try to do or at least put it on the back of the QR code so it's not as visible. Um, You can do that as well. And so do you store those like on a ring? Are your QR codes, where are they? So it depends on what the goal is. Um, So if it's like math, I typically have all my math ones together um, on the math cart that I have. Um, If it's reading, reading's usually um, at my desk is something that I can quick grab. Um, If it's working on independent functioning and the number of prompts they need to finish a task, it's usually in their um, individual workstations. Um, I also take data on their hygiene goals. which like brushing teeth, using deodorant, um, how they change their clothes, that type of thing, because my program's a life skills class. Um, So I also have a QR code in the bathroom. Okay, that's good though. Really, it's just wherever you would be working on that task, here they are, you've got it. Yep, I try to make it as easily accessible as possible because that was my biggest issue um, in the paper copies was I just never found them or the binder would be in my desk behind other things and I just couldn't get to it quick enough. I really do think that that's a common thing that those first few years or those hurdles is really figuring out like literally nothing is ever where we want it when we need it and figuring out a system. It does have to be something that you know kind of exactly what you're going to do when you're going to do it and then make sure those materials are there for you. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is. It is trial and error. If paper isn't working for you, try the digital for a little bit. If digital is not going to work for you, try something different with paper. Um, I've gone back and forth actually this year a little bit um, where I do have the Google Forms and QR codes for some things and then I have paper copies for other things. Um, So it's really just trying to figure out like A, what works for you in your classroom and B, what works for the other staff in your room and the other adults in your room and just being flexible with that because I have some staff that like do not want to touch technology at all. Um, so I do have some paper copies for them as well. And then I put the data in um, at another time. That's good. That's really good. And very helpful just to like almost have permission to, it doesn't have to be digital because digital's cool. It doesn't have to be paper pencil because everybody else does paper pencil, like really find what works for you and then do yes, that. Definitely. Um, So besides Google Forms, are there any other tools or apps or websites that you use for collecting data? Right now, I am loving Boom Learning. Um, I was digital and virtual all last year. Um, So Boom Learning was a great option for me because they do the data tracking for you. Um, Students do need to log in to get that data tracking feature. Um, Or you can also just send them links, but it won't track the data for you. But I love Boom Learning um, to kind of test their understanding of concepts. Um, Typically, there's three answer choices that they can pick from. Some of them have type-in boxes, too, if you're working on how to structure a sentence and things like that. Um, So I really like the variety in Boom Learning and then the data collection aspect. I can see how long they've worked on the task, how many they got correct, how many incorrect. 
and how many times they've attempted that deck specifically, depending on what they're working on. I also love too on Boom, you can pretty much find any skill, any topic. It's already made. You don't even have to reinvent the wheel. Like if you're willing to pay, you know, a dollar to three dollars, you can easily have. Um, I mean, I, I know they do, it's not dollars, but you know, using yeah. your credits. Credits, but, yeah. Um, with that, it's just there's literally something there that you could use. So I guarantee that there's something out there for whatever IEP goals you might have to monitor. Yeah. And the best part is you can differentiate the decks as well. So if you get a deck, um, I just got one where it was um, adding one to tens and I, my kids weren't ready to add tens yet. So I was able to hide those Uh, cards um, because we're not ready for double digits yet. So we just did single digits. um, But I was able to hide those cards, which was a great feature um, that I'm glad they added. And then later in the year or next year, if some of those students are ready for that, you bring them back and you can still use the same deck and and that kind of thing. So that's great. Um, So after you use, you know, Boom or Google Forms, that kind of thing to collect data, do you have any other tricks or hacks or websites that you use then to organize it, track it, maybe create some of those graphs? What does that part look like for you? Um, So when you're in Google Forms, in order to create the chart, you have to convert it into an Excel form um, or a Google Google Sheet, I think it more is. Um, So it's just a form that goes into a sheet. And in the bottom right corner, I don't think anybody knows this, but maybe people do and they're going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the bottom right corner, if you hit explore and when you're inside that um, Google Sheet, It'll do the chart for you. You can click bar, pie, um, and just see what it looks like. And then you can edit it from there. So I like that Google Forms goes into a Google Sheet and then creates that chart for you. Um, I print those out. I can bring them to IEP meetings. I can attach it to their IEP um, on our system. Um, And it's really just kind of a great feature to go through. And Boom Learning does the exact same thing. They create the charts of how many they've gotten right, how many they haven't gotten right. And again, I can print all that data there too, which is phenomenal. So that's one thing I wanted to share. And then as far as organization, um, again, you send a copy to the family. I attach it to their IEP or that specific goal if I can. Um, And then I always try to store them in a file that's for that specific student in my Google Drive um, so that if there's any questions down the road of why did they not meet this goal or why did they meet this goal? Can I see the data? And somebody wants to see it um, in the event we might get audited or anything of that sort. um, I have that data there for me. And I usually save that for about uh, three to five years. That's really good. That's wonderful. And I feel like I am an Excel girl, so I can make a chart or a graph or all those things in Excel. I don't think I've ever hit explore and tried it on Google Sheets, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's pretty similar depending on what you're like needing. So it's just, if you make, if you feel comfortable making it in Excel, make it in Excel. Or if you make it in Google Sheets, again, that explore button kind of does it for you. Yeah, I'm just thinking like how it could save you time. You're you're yeah. pulling out a middle step there and really it would be right there ready for you. All you have to do is click a button and choose what kind of chart you want. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I mean, maybe some people know that, but I feel like that's a pretty good 
tip to share because I I don't know that everybody knows that or is willing to explore and and see if they can figure that out. So yeah, I'll give a confession. I just found that out this year. Really, really good. Yeah. That's why I think like I mean I feel like I'm pretty tech savvy and I use a, you know a lot of the Google products, but I didn't know that was there. I had no idea. Yeah, I would like to say I'm pretty tech savvy savvy as well, but I did not know that my um, BCBA that I work with, she was like, that's how you do it. And I was like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a button you click and it shows up for you? Yeah, because see, I feel like if I had to do that right now, I would probably go to file, download as, and would take it to be an Excel sheet. And then I could do it from Excel, but um, yeah, yeah. Or insert chart or whatever it yes. was. Like, yeah, yeah. That's I would I be would making do. my life harder. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. Um, so I also noticed that on your website and on your Instagram, you had talked about being a master coach, a master IEP coach. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What is that? Sure. Um, so the Master IEP Coach Mentorship um, was created by Catherine Witcher. She does have a podcast as well, um, which is where I found her originally. Um, she's the Special Education Inner Circle podcast. Um, and she talks a lot about the legalities of IEPs. She talks about inclusion. She talks about why kids truly need ESY, not just for regression. Um, and she really brought a lot of special ed topics to the forefront. Um that like needs to be changed or needs to be um, made better. And so I really resonated with her, but the actual program itself helps teachers, um, admins, parents, and therapists um, go through all of the tough conversations that we want to have in special education, but really are unsure to have like inclusion or um, having your students participate more in like assemblies and things like that, where you might be feeling left out. So she shows you how to have those tough conversations um, and advocate without sounding like rude or mean um, with your admin, um, but being um, logical and being like almost less emotional about it than I think a lot of us want to be. Obviously, we want to be very emotional for our kids and advocate and do everything that they need and give them the education they deserve. Um, but sometimes those conversations to get there are going to be tough. Um, so she helps with any legalities. If there's um, due process, she helps you kind of walk through that if you are in fear of that. Um, what to say, what not to say. Um, and then there also is this other part of it too, where she helps you if you would like to continue and consult with families um, or teachers in creating IEPs and then holding IEP meetings um, and helping as, I hate to say the word advocate because it's a scary word, um, but advocate for um, those teachers or parents um, as if you would like to do that as a job, but that's not mandatory as a part of the program. That really sounds wonderful. And even just the the tough conversations, having people behind you to be able to like, okay, you're on the right track. You This is something that's worth fighting for. This is a conversation that needs to happen. Now here's how to do it. And I don't know about you, but for me, I am very emotionally led, you know, charged about things. And while that's good, that can also stray you from the point of that conversation or or depending on who's sitting at that table may not take you as seriously as here's this, she's all worked up and she's upset about this and whatever, but really it comes from a good place. And 
with being able to have that in more of maybe a professional or we're going to actually accomplish something than an emotionally charged place. Yeah, definitely. And so I originally wanted the program um, so that I could be more confident at the IEP table. I was always in fear of what do I say? What don't I say? Do I say too much? Have I not said enough? Um, And then you're right, having that emotional like, oh, they're doing great in class. I'm so glad they're a part of my room. Like that's great fluff to have. Um, But also like, really, how are they doing? Like, yes, they're great to have in class, but why do you say that? Like, what do you mean by that? Um, So of course I was always the fluffy, like, Hey, this is going great. Yada, yada, yada. But then when it came down to like, these behaviors are increasing and it was hard to have those conversations, I would try to sugarcoat it. And like, the parents don't need that, right? They want to be there to actually see the bigger picture of what's going on so that if there is something that arises and you do have to like confront them a little bit more about it, like, I wanted to feel more confident saying like, this has been happening for the last four months. We've seen an increase. Um, You know, here's the next steps that we'd like to take as the team. Um, What are your thoughts behind it? And kind of include the parents more in that process rather than me, like I said, trying to beat around it and be nice about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it doesn't get you anywhere. And if we really want to advocate and help our kids, then we have to be able to present things in a way that's actually going to accomplish results. And the other part of the Master IP Coach program that I absolutely love um, is now that I've gone through the program, I do have a community behind me, like you had kind of mentioned, um, that I can bounce ideas off of, or I can bring a concern to and ask how they would handle it, or um, what are some things I can say, what are some things I can't say. Um, So it's really kind of nice that if I'm in a sticky situation, I have a group of people that I can trust and remain confidential with, um, and then can support me through that situation. Which might be more valuable than all of the courses and all of the trainings and all the other things that we pay for or participate in because it's people who are literally doing the same thing you're doing every day. Well, and like I said, there's parents in there as well. Ah, So a lot of them um, will speak on their own experience and said, well, when we did this, a teacher said this and I did not like it. Or they'll say like, as a parent, I'd like to hear this. Um, and so it's really kind of valuable that that parent and teacher collaboration is really coming together. Um, so I think the program is good for teachers to see because it's eye-opening um, to hear the parent perspective. And then it's great for the parents to see that the teachers are kind of struggling this year. Um, and they're really unsure if we are going to stay in the classroom because this is exhausting. Um And so it's kind of a nice combination where we, like I said, we can work together collaboratively to help each other through this. That really is amazing because we don't know what we don't know. And if we've never been on the other side of that table, that's, you know, that's hard. How do you say the right thing? Even going back to sugarcoating, you know, how much or how little do you sugarcoat? I once um, sat in a conference with a principal who did not have children and basically said just, I felt very heartbreaking things. If I were sitting there as a mother and hearing that, that's hard. But when you don't have kids and you've never been in that situation, that's hard. Yeah. And she she wasn't sugarcoating. So which is better, me and my mommy heart telling them what a mom would want to hear or this, I'm just going to say what needs to be said when really it's probably somewhere in the middle of there. Yeah. So yeah, that would be incredibly valuable. 
Um, so we've talked a lot about data. How do you stay organized? How do you keep track? I mean, obviously, special education has so many things that we have coming and going. How do you stay organized through all that? Um, so this year, I've really started creating a binder system. Um, so I have one binder for all of my annual reviews and evaluations. So that's in one spot. And I each I have a tab for each kid. Um, so if I need to quick check, um, you know, whatever, an accommodation, make sure it's there. Um, I can do that and just kind of flip over. Um, and then I have another binder for data forms. I have another binder for community trips. I have another binder um, for my assistant binder. And I've really tried to bring it all into one place. Um, I think COVID this year really kind of made me see like, if I was out for a week or two, what would happen? Like, right. we we know we don't have subs, right? That's a sub shortage happening this year. And I wanted to make sure that if I was not to be able to be in the building, that those things were easily accessible in the event that I needed to leave. Um, and so I've kind of created those binders for the organization of myself, of course, but for others. If somebody was to come in the room and look for um, my substitute binder, I have it there. It's ready to go. It's got every lesson we need in there. Um, and then as far as organizations in my lessons right now, um, I have just one of those milk crates and I have hanging files in that milk crate um, and it's labeled out each day of the week um, for the next, I think, three weeks is what I have right now, um, where I've put literally the exact lesson in there um, of what what we're reading or what we're working on in math. So that's a quick grab, easily accessible. Um, and that way nobody has to mess around with a computer because I've had subs in the past that just don't know how to use a computer. Um, even just logging in is hard for them. So I wanted to make as many paper copies and easily pass out, do the lesson and be done um, as I could. So just finding what works for you, I think is my biggest suggestion to anybody. Um, I am a type A person, so I need to be organized in order to feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. So the color-coded binders and the color-coded lessons in my bins, like that makes me feel good and feel like I am in control of something that maybe I'm not in control over. I agree. And really, then, whether it's a sub or whether it's you, you're prepared. You are ready to go. And we all know that life can get really hectic in in no time. You know, you, you don't even see it coming. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, my gosh, what happened to this week? You're still two weeks ahead because originally you were three weeks ahead. And then things get crazy. But at least you're ready. At least you're prepared. And if you need to change course, you can. But at least you've got something and you're ready to go. Um, or I don't know for you in your program, being more self-contained, even getting a new kid to me, I feel like what could definitely, you know, you have somebody move in or, or whatever that could really change the dynamic of your room and being three weeks ahead, how tremendous would that be? How valuable would that be? Yeah. Like you said, if you needed to spend some extra time with that new student, you totally could, um, and let an assistant run a group, a small group for a minute or two. Um, you know, or just, you know, you can kind of keep an eye on that new student because you have everything already prepared and planned. So. Right. You're not stressed and worried about, oh my gosh, next week you, you, and I really do think that that is part of the key. And I think it takes a few years of trial and error to get there, but being ahead in special education is, 
in my mind, the trick. Otherwise, you're just constantly like on this hamster wheel of what are we doing tomorrow? What are we doing tomorrow? Maybe you're at least a week ahead. And and that's good. But really, the further ahead you can get, the better. Yeah. So last year, like I said, I was virtual all year. Um, so I think that really helped me focus more ahead, ahead, ahead. What are we doing? What are we doing? What are we doing? Did I have enough materials for that? Because everything was digital at that point. I wasn't sending home packets or, you know, activities that are hands-on as much with the kids. It was more digital. Um, so I actually have gotten into the habit. Again, I'm eight years into teaching. I kind of know my groove and how quickly the students can get through things. Um, most years. I know my class kind of changes each year. Um, but I try to plan a month in advance. So like this next week coming, obviously we'll be um, getting into a new month soon. Um, so I want to make sure that my next month is at least kind of eyeballed out, right? Like what is the general topic? Like I don't have materials yet, but like what is the general topic that we're focusing on? Um, and how far can I stretch that out? How far do I need to stretch that out? Um, so that my kids can truly understand what we're learning about. Um, so I think, like I said, digital last year, everything I had to move was everything digital. So I had to collect all my TBT resources, anything curriculum wise that I had that could be digital. And I uploaded it into my Google Drive. Um, so if you are digital right now and virtual, um, I recommend like organizing your Google Drive into folders if you use Google Drive. Um, so I have a math folder. And inside that math folder, there's, you know, counting, one-to-one -one correspondence, addition, subtraction, all of those things are in subcategories. I'm a folder-on-folder -folder person, so Same. that's just how my brain works. <laughs> so, you know, just trying to break down. So I kind of knew, like, oh, I only have two things for addition. Maybe I need to find some other things for addition or, um, you know, try to create something that I can put digitally um, if I need it. So that was kind of a nice... Um, transition, I think, into the classroom this year is I had everything into folders. So I just printed it out. Right. And so it became easy for me to stay organized that way um, from digital back into the classroom. That's good. That's very good. Um, do you have any daily routines, things that like are non-negotiables? I've got to get this done every morning or every afternoon that kind of help you stay on track that maybe others could could adapt? I wouldn't say that I have something that I do um, every single day, um, but every day I do have a to-do list and I always put three things on that to-do list. Nothing like typically not more than three. Um, and those are like my must do's and before I leave for the day. Right. So it might be make copies. It might be send an email to a family. It might be, um, you know, print out that IEP, whatever it is. I have three things that I need to do each day. And if I have more than three things, I'll move it to a different day um, because I want to say, like, obviously, our to do list is ever growing. Right. There's For always sure. things we can be doing all all the time. Um, so I want to make sure, like, at least I'm moving a little bit forward onto my to do list um, and making sure those things are mandatory each day. Um, depending on what like needs to get done as a priority. I like the three things because oftentimes we walk into school and it's like, oh my gosh, I've got to get this done and this done and this done. And then something else pops up. Oh, and you've got to do this. I forgot about that. It gets out of hand so fast. But by having three things, like this is what I'm focusing on, that's what you're going to get done. And I like, you know, how you even say, I'll have to move it to another day. 
maybe there is something that's a higher priority. So maybe your number three thing today has to go to tomorrow, but here are your three things. What are you going to get done for the day? Yeah. And if I have a, like a completely overwhelming day and there's no way I'm going to get to my three days because, you know, I'm in crisis with my students or I'm in IEP meetings all day, whatever it is, like I might move to like just one thing, right? Just move, just give me one thing I need to do that day. Or maybe there's nothing, but like, at least I can feel at least somewhat accomplished that I've gotten something off my to-do list done. Right. The things you told yourself you were going to do these things that you leave feeling good. You like you got something done. Tomorrow's another day. We'll tackle three more things tomorrow. Right. And I don't want to like diminish the things that we do in a day because we do a lot in a oh, day. For sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, having something and crossing it off like feels somewhat good. Um, but like look at your whole day as well. Like the things you do in a day is crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I said, if those three things you really know you need to get done and you're not as excited about, like at least crossing that out that you've finished it, um, does make you feel like a little bit, a little bit excited about it. Definitely. I also even think, you know, looking ahead, okay, well, if tomorrow I do have IEP meetings all afternoon, I can't plan three things like that. Then you're just going to be frustrated with yourself or, aggravated that things didn't go as planned. Well, come on. You knew you weren't going to get three things done because you were going to be spending half the afternoon sitting in a really tough IEP meeting or, you know, whatever the case might be. So I think even just planning for things helps us kind of know what's coming. Um, do you have any books or um, any podcasts or other things that you like to listen to that might help other special ed teachers? Oh my gosh. So I did recommend the special education inner circle podcast. Um, if you are looking for something that's not the typical, um, like I said, she tries to talk about a lot of the burning topics of special education and things that could get changed and um, how we can change them and the things we can do. So I really do like that one. I actually do have another one in front of me that I absolutely love and talk about all the time. Um, it's those who can't teach by Shelly No. Um, she's absolutely amazing. I know you can't see it, but I'm showing Amanda. Um, <laughs> so she is actually a special education teacher turned master IEP coach. Um, and she shares stories, um, about the family she's worked with in her teaching career, um, and the struggles they faced, um, the adversity, um, basically saying that their kids will never amount to anything. They won't do well. They can't be a part of society, um, from teachers, from administration, from people in their community, um, and basically the family struggles. And I really do enjoy that inside look, like I said, that you don't get to see in families sometimes um, because of what they do at home and what happens at home, we don't get to see. Um, so I really do recommend that book. Um, again, that's um, those who can't dot, dot, dot teach. Um, so it's really a powerful book. And I, I recommend it as a summer read um, just because that way you're removed from the classroom yourself and you can kind of really take into those stories um, from these families. That sounds amazing. I will link both that podcast and the book in the show notes. That way, if people are wanting, um, you know, to check it out or to buy it or to listen, that they can click the link there in the show notes. So that is good. Also too, I just love, it sounds very motivating and inspirational. I love those things, especially in the summer. Pump you up before you go back. 
remind you why are we doing what we're doing. So that sounds wonderful. Okay. So I want to end with just a silly question. Okay. And I've asked everyone, so I hope you're willing to share an embarrassing teacher story. What do you got for us? I think this is the hardest question that you had on your sheet. It really is, isn't it? Um, so when I was just out of college, um, you know, fresh 21, 22 year old that had just graduated, um, it took me a while to get a job, right? I had gone on, I think like 30 interviews. Um, and it was, it was crazy. I was getting to my breaking point of, you know, I don't think I'm going to be a teacher ever. Um, but finally I did get hired as a long-term sub at a high school. Um, but the position was teaching juniors and seniors. So I have these 17 and 18 year old, um, class, um, and me being 21, 22 at the time, it was, it was kind of scary. I can't even imagine that. Um, so, (laughs) so, and I was more of a, um, I think they called it a support center class. So it was more kind of behavioral, um, but they did get some inclusion as well. Um, in the primarily, um, it was boys. And so, you know, me fresh out of college and just being in a, um, junior and senior class, it was really hard for me to be the authority figure, um, in that classroom (laughs) because we were so close in age and I really didn't have any classroom management at that time. I really didn't create what I wanted to create. And, um, you know, I was just really fresh in the <laughs> out of college. I feel and like so as first-year teachers, we've all been there. It became a struggle for a while. And then at one point I did ask them, like, how old do you think I am? Um, and I had everything from like 18 to like 45. Oh, God. Um, and so like nobody even knew how old I was. Um, but it was still was just kind of scary of like, okay, I need to be a teacher in here. I'm not a friend. Um, and it was a very scary experience. I know it was kind of not embarrassing, but like, I personally felt embarrassed because I was like, I know I was probably more of a friend to many of those kids than I should have been. Um, but like I said, I had no classroom management and I, I personally was embarrassed (laughs) by my teaching methods that year. I feel like when all of us look back, we're all like, oh my gosh, what was I doing? Or why did I think that was a good idea? But it is. It's embarrassing for sure. Yeah. So Heather, where can my listeners find you online, whether it's your blog or social media? And then what will they find when they go there? For sure. Um, so on social media, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, um, Pinterest, Twitter. Um, it's full sped ahead. And um, if you go to my blog, you can find more things about self-contained teachers. Again, that's fullspedahead.com. Um, and in there, obviously, I talk a lot about self-contained teachers, but I also have guest bloggers on there as well every other week. Um, so if that's something you're interested, you are more than welcome to reach out to me. And I'm always looking for guest bloggers. Um and then also part of my blog, you have my um, Full Sped Ahead Mentorship Program, which is specifically designed for self-contained teachers. Um, if you're feeling alone in special education or you want somebody to talk to about your uh, self-contained classroom, I'm your girl. That sounds great. That was going to be my next question for you was if you could tell us about that, because in special ed, we are often alone. And depending on the size of your school, you might be the only teacher who does what you do. 
Um, and that's lonely. And even when you have a rough day, even when you have a great day, who do you celebrate with? Who do you ask questions or vent to? And so I think having a community of people would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So definitely a part of the mentorship is um, you do get a private Facebook group with those people who are in the mentorship. Um, and then you also get texting with me. So if oh, you need to good. share a success or uh, a fail in your day, or you just want to vent something out, like I'm here and I can text with you and just be a friend. That's good because it would take away that feeling of I'm alone or somebody please tell me I'm not the only one who has this problem or who feels this way. So that's amazing. And I think you don't get into teaching, especially in a self-contained setting. You don't get into that unless you love what you do, unless you care about the kids. So your heart is always in the right place, but that doesn't mean the job is easy. That doesn't mean that what we're doing day in and day out, um, as rewarding as it is, doesn't sometimes feel incredibly hard. So um, yeah. I think that's fabulous that you're doing that for teachers, giving them that place. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, good. Well, thank you so much for being here. I have loved talking with you. And um, I think you're a wealth of knowledge to so many teachers. And I thank you for doing what you're doing for the world of special ed. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me as well. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here and you have a great day. Well, my friend, that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to the Resource Room Podcast. I truly, truly love to help and support other special ed teachers. Because of that, I run a Facebook group just for us. Search the resource room and request to join. You can also check out my website, theprimarygal.com for blog posts, pictures, and more information. Until next time, have a great week.